But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1.8 Dear God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit working through me today. Thank you for the privilege of being your witness, of testifying to your love and your light and your life-transforming power. Thank you for enabling me to walk in your good and perfect will and to fulfill every one of the plans you have for me. I thank you that you promised you would never leave me or forsake me. I know that no matter where I am or where I go or what I get myself into, I'm never alone. When I'm facing a trial, when I'm walking through a dark valley, your Spirit is there protecting me and defending me. You comfort me. You strengthen me. I can rest in your love for me. I will not be defeated by the enemy. I will be victorious. I will triumph over every attack, every temptation, or distraction he can throw at me. The heat that I will take and the pressure that I face ends up serving me, shaping me into a diamond that shines brilliantly for your glory. In all I say and do today, help me point others to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me today. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi, I'm Dr. Tony Evans, your host for the Heroes in the Bible podcast. Before we begin, be sure to follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you're updated on the newest episodes as they become available. Welcome to the epic adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. I'm glad you're here with me as we mine the depths of this renowned tale. In this episode, we continue to follow the rise of Saul, the first king of Israel. We are still waiting with bated breath to see what Saul will become. Is he plotting to be a tyrant? Will he end up being the hero everyone hopes for? What about the inklings of pride we saw slithering into the scene last episode? Will we see in this portion of the story that Saul is everything Israel expected and more? He shows integrity, strength, follow-through, and a dozen other qualities that anyone would want in a leader. We must not forget what Saul represents. He is man's attempt 
to appear strong while ignoring the true strength that God offers. So while we may see epic feats of strength and bravery in this chapter, it is drawn from a shallow well. But the heart of God is revealed at the end when Samuel gives Saul a sad and foreboding coronation. We will begin this episode with a prelude, a story from another point in time that whispers similar truths. We will meet another group of people who attempt to replace God for something shiny and new. They turn from the faithfulness of God and erect a false idol. Will God remain faithful despite their unfaithfulness? Stay at the end of this episode and listen to me unpack some of the themes, Easter eggs, and more. But for now, let's begin episode two, Long Live the King. Prelude to Chapter 2 The top of Mount Sinai was shrouded in a mysterious cloud. Lightning burst from its edges but made no sound. The people watched in awe for days as they anxiously awaited the return of Moses. He had gone up to speak to the Lord, but had not returned in days. Those days became weeks, and the people were growing unsteady. Finally, they came to Aaron. They cornered him with anxious energy and demanded him to do something for them. Make us gods we can see, they said. We do not know what has become of Moses. He is dead for all we know. We want to worship a god that we can touch and see. Aaron, admittedly doubtful of Moses' return as well, agreed without question. He nodded and said, Take off your rings of gold. Have your jewelry come to me, and we shall melt them down. So the people brought their precious gold to an altar of fire. They tossed them in like offerings and watched as the flames melted down the precious gold. With the newly refined gold, Aaron fashioned for them a golden calf. They set it on an altar and danced around it with worshipful cheers. They laid down offerings to it and feasted before it. They made it in their minds to be the God who delivered them. Yet God could see what they were doing. They had replaced their true Savior with a counterfeit God. The golden calf was a short fix to the deep problems that lurked within their hearts. They wanted something to look upon and justify their pride. If they worshipped a God they could build, touch, and manipulate, it did not have power over them. They had power over it. In their own way, by making the golden calf, they made themselves gods over their own lives. This rejection of the Lord their Savior would continue for generations and generations to come. Self-worship would cause them to erect statues, elect kings, and worship at the feet of human invention. These counterfeit gods would always fail them. The people of God would always find themselves lacking strength to save themselves, and the Lord of all creation would always bend down to redeem His people, even after they rejected Him. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. 
Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Chapter 2. Long Live the King Ash fell like snow over the village of Jabesh Gilead. A dark cloud draped the land in darkness, and the sun was made red as the smoke enveloped every inch of the sky. Just outside the village walls, flames raged where a field of barley once stood. Panicked villagers drew water from the well and dumped it onto the flames. However, the field was already lost. The fire raged and devoured the barley in a matter of minutes. Watching over the flames was the Ammonite king, Nahash. The vast Ammonite army stood at attention behind him. He was mounted atop a dark horse. His broad chest and shoulders were bound tightly together under dark leather armor. His thick hair fell over his sadistic eyes. The people quivered in fear as he and his army slowly descended down the hill and past the flames. Men gathered whatever weapons or tools they had to fight and ran outside the village. They attacked the giant army like mice to cats. The Ammonites quickly engulfed the villagers. In a matter of minutes, the flames in the field were made larger with the bodies of murdered villagers. The vast Ammonite army flooded Jabesh Gilead. The king rode into the heart of the village and drew out his sword. The sound of the metal being unsheathed echoed through the silence. No one dared step out of their home. Still mounted on his dark warhorse, Nahash banged his sword against his shield and shouted. His bloodthirsty clamoring sent chills down the people's spines. The Ammonite king breathed in the smoke and rose his head to the red sun. He soaked it in like a springtime breeze and gave a crooked smile. He gestured to his general standing at attention nearby. Bring me the elders, if they haven't run away by now, he demanded swiftly. The elders of Jabesh Gilead were drug out by their beards and hair onto the dirt. The Ammonite soldiers surrounded them with swords drawn. Nahash dismounted his horse and stood over the elders. He gave his sword and shield to his attendant and looked down at the elders. Your frail village is mine, Hebrews. Every man here will be killed. I will take the women and children as I please. He explained. Please, no. The elders begged. We will make a treaty with you. We will not struggle or fight. We will serve you and pay homage to your kingdom. Do not kill us. Nahash gave a rapacious smile. He looked at his men and they laughed. The elders shook in fear as the king knelt down to one of the men and grabbed him by the ear. Ah, it is a treaty you want, eh? Tears streamed down the man's face as Nahash took out his blade and held it against the man's cheek. I will make a treaty with you. Here is my condition. I get to gouge out the right eye of every man in this village. 
If you agree, I will spare your lives and leave your women and children alone. You will serve me, pay me taxes, and labor in my fields. It was a cruel demand. Half-blinding the men of the village ensured they would be weak and unable to battle effectively if they ever chose to revolt. Gouging out the right eye was worse than giving them chains, and far more cruel. As Nahash lifted the tip of the dagger near the man's eye, one of the elders lifted his voice and said, Give us seven days. He was frantic and wanting to save his fellow tribesmen. Nahash looked at him curiously. Give us seven days so we might send messengers to the other territories of Israel. If no one rises up to save us, we will give ourselves to you and we will meet your demands. Nahash pondered his plea with his dagger still lifted up to the man's eye. Very well, the king replied. Nahash was confident in the weakness of Israel. They were large but disunified. The twelve tribes were unable to help one another. Nahash also reveled in the idea of his reputation being spread throughout the nation. Send your messengers. I welcome anyone who dares rise up against me. As he said this, he lifted his dagger and drove it through the man's eye. He writhed in pain. His screams echoed throughout the village. Nahash turned his back to the panicked elders and mounted his horse again. He gestured for his men to turn back and camp outside the village. He would give them seven days. Then, he would descend upon Jabesh Gilead with fury. The elders gathered messengers and sent them throughout all the twelve tribes of Israel. They knew that they lacked the strength to save themselves. They needed salvation, so they cried out for a savior. The news of the Ammonite army spread throughout the rest of Israel. The messengers rode swiftly into each city and village, begging for aid. Each report was met with sorrowful tears and weeping. However, not one person offered aid. The people of Israel heard their suffering brothers and sisters, wept aloud in sympathy, yet did nothing in response. No sword was taken up, no man was stirred to action, and no elder was moved to mobilize soldiers. Their fear and comfort was far more powerful than their convictions. Saul drove his feet into the churned-up dirt, directing the giant plow as his oxen pulled forward. His back was red and sweating from hours of working in the field. The work calmed Saul's racing mind. King of Israel, he thought to himself. How can I lead a people that have been so disunified and fickle for so long? Where do I even begin? Saul had been anointed and recognized as king of Israel before the people yet he was at a loss for how to begin. He had to establish a royal court to create laws, gather elders to communicate those laws, and recruit an army to enforce those laws. There was much for him to do, but he lacked the knowledge on how to lay the groundwork for his kingdom. So Saul remained in his field, awaiting a call from God about his first steps. He plowed, tilled, and began to plant seed for next season's harvest. The sun's harsh glare dimmed as the day drew to a close. The evening breeze rolled in from the hills, and Saul's sweating face turned cold with the chill. He led his oxen back to the stables, fed them, and hauled the yoke back to his home. As he entered the gate back into his father's house, he could sense an unrest among the servants and members of the household. A few of the women were weeping and holding their children. What is wrong? Saul asked gently. The woman simply looked up and pointed to the horizon. Saul looked and saw a plume of smoke rising in the distance. Is that Jabesh Gilead? 
Saul asked. It is. One of the women said, wiping away her tears. Some messengers from the village just passed through. It is under siege by the Ammonites. They have five more days until they are enslaved and tortured. Saul said nothing. He ran into the halls of his father's household. His father, uncle, and Samuel were by the fire in intense discussion. Did you hear the messengers? Saul inquired. Is Jabesh under attack? The three of them confirmed it was true. Saul met Samuel's gaze. He said nothing. He only nodded and rushed out the door to his home. He burst through the door and opened up the chest at the foot of his bed. In it was leather armor. It was tattered and old, but thick and sturdy. Saul strapped it firmly over his tunic. He grabbed his sword and marched out of the house. As the sun set, bright red rays spread across the skies. Saul looked up and could feel a rush of purpose burning in his veins. His blood boiled with righteous rage. The Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. God had given Saul the holy fury of a defender. Saul hopped the fence into the stables where he had fed the oxen. He took both of them and led them outside under the red sunset. He held the oxen's rope in one hand and his sword firmly in the other. Then with a powerful thrust of his blade, he cut into the ox. The blood spilled all over the floor, matching the red skies above them. Saul cried out as he tore the oxen limb from limb. He panted heavily with the torn apart oxen beneath his feet. Tavi! Saul yelled. His servant was watching from behind the stables. Tavi inched forward slowly, avoiding the blood from below. Saul's eyes darted at him. Something was different about Saul. His voice, his eyes, and his demeanor had changed. Gather some of the other servants and have them take these pieces of oxen to all the twelve tribes of Israel, Saul said. Tell them whoever does not follow Saul and Samuel into battle to defend Jabesh will be torn apart like these oxen. We are Israel. We are united. And we will come to the aid of our brothers. Tavi nodded and gathered the other servants to take Saul's message to the masses. Saul wiped off his sword, sheathed it, and took some of his men to Bezek. The messengers made Saul's demands known to the entire nation of Israel. It was the first command of their new king, and the fear of the Lord rushed upon them. Men gathered whatever weapons they had and marched to meet Saul at Bezek. The Spirit of God was on the move among his people, and he was using Saul as an instrument of his justice. 300,000 men from 11 tribes came forward, and 30,000 from the tribe of Judah. Saul was there to greet them. He stood among them with tattered armor and a dull blade, yet he still looked magnificent before the people. Saul gathered commanders from each tribe and met with them in his tent. By the fire, they strategized about their plan of attack. Saul sent his son Jonathan as a spy to scout out the Ammonite camp. They were sitting ducks. Nahash had not expected anyone from Israel to rise up against them, so they kept no watch and kept no guard. Instead, they ate by the fire and awaited their inevitable victory. Saul knew that if they stood a chance against the Ammonites, they would have to strike swiftly and without notice. Saul gathered a few messengers to go to Jabesh. Tell them we have come. Tell them tomorrow, by the time the sun is set firmly above them, they shall have salvation. Saul looked to his newly appointed commanders and gave them a resolute grin. And tell them to surrender to Nahash. Tell them to give themselves up 
but not to worry. We will come before they have a chance to strike. The messengers brought Saul's encouragement to the elders of Jabesh. They did as they were told and sent their own messengers to Nahash. The Ammonites cheered and scoffed at Israel. That night, they danced and celebrated in their camp. As the skies grew dark, Nahash and his men plotted their takeover of Jabesh. He was unaware that only a few miles away, Israel's new king was sharpening his blade. Saul did not sleep that night. He stared at the fire blankly while his men rested. His eyes were fixed on the flame swaying back and forth with the breeze. He looked at the heat of the coals radiating. The red center of each individual coal beat like hearts. Saul poked them with his sword, ensuring each remained within the flames. He breathed in deeply and looked forward to the hills. The Ammonites were on the other side, no doubt sleeping without fear. Saul looked over to his son, Jonathan, sleeping soundly beside the fire. He wanted a better future for his son. He wanted a better future for all the children of Israel. He knew that the kingdom would never last as long as other nations saw them as weak. He had to make an example of the Ammonites. He had to show them that God's chosen people were not to be trifled with. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Sunrise was approaching, and the morning mist slithered its way between the forest outside Jabesh. The night watch of the Ammonite camp had gone to sleep, and the morning watch was beginning its post. They lazily only set a watch on the side of their camp facing the village of Jabesh. They knew no villager would dare charge them. However, edging quietly through the other side of the forest was the united army of Israel. Saul had split them into three companies each responsible for prowling on the left, right, and back of the Ammonite camp. Each company approached softly and remained a hundred yards away from the camp. Saul led the company on the right. The men were crouched low and unseen. They could see the flickering light coming from the campfires. Saul held his men in position until the first light of dawn gave them enough light to see. When the first light appeared, Saul stood to his feet and drew his sword. He rose it high in the air and raised his voice loud. His deep voice bellowed across the camp for the other companies to hear. 
Then, before the Ammonites could arise to grab their weapons, the Israelites charged with the fury of God. Saul's legs burst like a stallion's. He quickly separated himself from the rest of the group with his sword grasped firmly in his hand. He was the first to draw blood in the Ammonite camp, breaking through the trees and swiping at the neck of a man sitting beside the fire. The rest of Israel charged from behind and on the side of the camp, catching the Ammonites off guard. However, their camp was vast, and the Ammonites were great in number. They quickly drew their weapons and began to defend themselves. The warriors of Israel drew strength from the passion of their king and pressed into the enemy with fire. God's spirit was before Saul as he slashed his way through the Ammonite camp. Two enemy soldiers ran with spears drawn at Saul. One thrust forward, grazing Saul's shoulder. He grabbed the shaft of the spear and broke it with his sword. He swung around, slashing the soldier's throat. The other Ammonite jabbed his spear upward. Saul dodged it and cut the man of the calf. As he fell to his knees, Saul kicked him in the chest and onto his back. Saul pressed his knife into the man's throat and bent down. Where is your king? He demanded. The Ammonite soldier gasped for air and pointed. Saul looked and saw a tall man clothed in dark armor swinging his sword through a group of Israelite soldiers. Saul released his knee and marched forward. Flames engulfed the tents around him, but his vision was set on Nahash. Saul wiped the blood off his brow and quickened his pace. Nahash's blade was large and came down with brutal force on the shields of the Israelite men. Saul sped up and ran towards the Ammonite king. Nahash! He yelled with vigor. The dark king looked up to see Saul sprinting forward with his sword ready. Nahash lifted his shield and absorbed Saul's first blow. He stumbled back, surprised to see a man as large as he was. Saul met him eye to eye, and the two of them paced around one another. Nahash spat in Saul's direction. <laughs> so this is your army? He asked with a chuckle. I presume you are this new king I hear the men speak of before I kill them. Nahash goaded. Saul did not reply. He set his foot back, lifted his sword, and advanced towards Nahash. The Ammonite king welcomed the fight. He burst forward with surprising speed and kicked Saul's shield clean off his arm. Saul stumbled back, then dodged the first swing of Nahash's sword. Saul rolled to his side and swung his sword at Nahash's knee. He barely grazed it, but it was enough to pause the king's advances. Saul burst forward and swung his sword. The two of them sparred. The sound of clanging metal pierced Saul's ears as each of them fought to gain an advantage over the other. Finally, Saul saw an opening on Nahash's side. He jabbed his sword forward, cutting through Nahash's armor. Nahash recoiled, then swung down at Saul in a fury. As his arms were above his head, Saul thrust his sword forward into Nahash's stomach. The king dropped his sword and stepped back and fell to his knees. Saul drew his sword out of his stomach. The Ammonite king said nothing. With blood dripping out of his mouth, he simply fell forward with his face to the dirt. Saul stood over Nahash's lifeless body panting. His heart felt as though it was going to beat out of his chest. His arms were heavy and his head began to swell. Behind him, Saul could hear the cheering of his men. He turned to see the tide of the battle swinging back to Israel. Saul looked up. The sun was high above the sky. They had been fighting into the afternoon. The king smiled. He had kept his promise to the people of Jabesh. The sun was set firmly in the middle of the sky, 
and the battle had been won. The surviving Ammonites had fled, and the scorched earth outside the village of Jabesh was painted red with the blood of the enemy. Shouts of victory and praise to God and Saul echoed through every city in Israel. Men, women, and children sang songs of their king's victory over the Ammonites. Stories were told of the brave new king's battle with Nahash and how he saved the village of Jabesh. Samuel heard these shouts. He listened to the songs and he pondered the stories. He sat in a room of elders, tolerating their worshipful doting over the young king. Saul sat in the room as well, humbly listening to their admiration. Who among us doubted Saul? One of the elders asked. Let them be put to death for such accusations. Saul's eyes widened and he shook his head. Please, brothers, let no one be put to death this day. Today, the Lord has worked out salvation for his children. Let us rejoice in him and have mercy on one another. Samuel was surprised to hear these words come from Saul. Perhaps there was hope for his soul. Perhaps he was the king Israel had needed. Samuel propped himself up in front of the elders and settled them down. It is time for us to renew our kingdom, he said solemnly. We have seen Saul lead, and now it is time for us to go to Gilgal to establish him as king before the Lord. So Samuel led the people of Israel to the high place of Gilgal. He made a sacrifice to the Lord, and the tribes brought peace offerings to God. As worship was made unto the Lord, Saul was anointed king over Israel. The people cheered with passion and hope. Samuel overlooked the crowd. Their songs echoed in his ears as they sang. Long live the king! Long live the king! Their shouts saddened him. It was not long ago that they gave God such reverence. They had replaced their true savior with a counterfeit God. Saul was a short fix to the deep problems that lurked within their hearts. Samuel knew that even if Saul was brave, kind, and just, he would ultimately fail them, as all other kings would. Samuel stood over the people, lifted up on a stone platform. The people ceased their cheers as he raised his hands. His voice resonated among the crowd as he orated his final address and goodbye to the people. Behold! He shouted, I have obeyed your voice. You have asked for a king, and here he stands before you. I am old now, but I have faithfully walked before you since I was young. Samuel's voice began to break slightly, and his throat choked up with sorrow. The old prophet paused and gripped his staff firmly. A single tear left his eye as he scanned the children of Israel. He opened up his arms and said, Here I am. Testify against me before God. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded or cheated out of their money? Have I oppressed any of you, or taken a tax or bribe? Have I done anything worthy of you rejecting me and the God I serve? The people cried out immediately, saying, You have done nothing to oppress us, Samuel. You have been fair, just, and honored us. So the Lord is witness against you and the king that stands before you that I have not oppressed you or taken anything from you. I have only given to you and loved you like children. Yes! They shouted. The Lord is a witness! Samuel drove his staff into the stone in front of him. The sound was intimidating and sent a clear message. 
Samuel pointed at them with his staff and shouted, The Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and freed your fathers from Egypt is the witness between you and I. Now listen to me one final time as I tell you of the righteousness of God. The people were silent and listened like children being scolded. When Jacob went into Egypt with his family, the Egyptians, led by their king, oppressed them. They labored as slaves and were killed like animals. The blood of children stained the Nile, and your forefathers cried out to God for deliverance. So he sent Moses and Aaron. Together, they brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now here you stand as free people. But your fathers forgot the God who had saved them. They became oppressed by the Philistines and the Moabites. Then, after years of disobedience, they cried out to God again for help. The Lord answered. He sent judges. He sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and myself. Many of us were called by God to deliver you out of bondage of other nations and your own sin. Even though there were enemies on every side, God still fought for you, and you lived in safety. The clouds in the sky began to roll in from the west as Samuel spoke. The people looked up as the sun was hidden from sight. Yet you still cried out for a king after all these years. Samuel continued. You saw Nahash and the Ammonites, and you did not so much as whisper for the Lord to give you aid. You desired a man to save you. Well, here he stands before you. The Lord has given you the desires of your heart. If you will fear God and serve him, if you will obey his voice and refuse to rebel as your forefathers, if you and your new king follow him and him alone, all will be well. But take heed, my children. The pride of the heart is more powerful than you know. God will resist the rebellious and arrogant heart. If you go against him, he will be against you and your king. The sky had turned completely dark, and the wind began to pick up tremendously behind Samuel. The people began to stir. The weather was unsettling. It seemed to match the mood of Samuel. His words clearly reflected the heart of God. Stand and see this great thing the Lord will do before your eyes. Samuel said with a trumpeting voice. Thunder and rain shall go before you, and you shall know truly what you have done has grieved the heart of God. As Samuel said this, lightning struck down behind him. The cypress tree behind him erupted in flames. Then, as if the floodgates of heaven were open, rain poured out from the clouds. Thunder shook the earth, and rain began to fall down like arrows onto the people below. The people were fearful that the Lord would strike them down. They cried out, saying, Pray for us, Samuel! We have added to all the sins of our fathers! Samuel shook his head and sighed. You have nothing to fear, he said with the wind at his back. Continue in the paths of the Lord with all your heart. Do not cling to the empty things that cannot satisfy you. They are empty and weak. The Lord will not forsake his people. He is great, and it pleases him to make you his people. It gives him joy to protect you. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin by ceasing to pray for you. I will still be here to instruct and guide you. I will give counsel, offer prayers, and make sacrifices on behalf of the people and God's armies. The wind began to subside for a moment. 
and the rain had drowned out the flames caused by the lightning. All that remained were wet coals barely flickering. Samuel's voice was soft now and weary. He looked down at them and said, Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider and remember the great things he has done for you. Yet the warning remains. If wickedness prevails in your hearts, you and your king shall be swept away. The people left wet and contemplative. It was not the coronation Saul had in mind. As the people left, Saul remained there silently looking at Samuel from a distance. A small part of him was angry at the interruption. He did not know whether Samuel supported him as king reluctantly, or if he was actively praying against him. A spark of spite simmered deeply in Saul's heart. He ignored it and put on a smile as he approached Samuel. The two of them left Gilgal to prepare and establish the kingdom. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Are you looking to grow closer to God in 2024? Our Daily Bread Daily Devotionals have everything you need to regularly dig into His Word. Each booklet is delivered monthly and comes complete with encouraging daily scripture readings, a Bible in a year reading guide, space to write personal reflections, guided prayers, and more. See how God can transform you through His Word this year by subscribing to our Daily Bread Daily Devotionals at getodb.org Tony. That's G-E-T-O-D-B org slash Tony. Long live the king. For now, always. This episode had the action that we were all waiting for. Saul rose up as the hero king everyone hoped he would be. He was able to inspire an army, rely on the spirit of God, and bravely charge headfirst into danger to save the people of Jadish Gilead. At the end of it all, he receives honor and praise from the people. Saul is this shiny new toy that Israel can't wait to keep playing with. For them, he is a more tangible thing to worship, just like the golden calf was for Israel in the prelude. The prelude highlighted mankind's proclivity to erect idols that they can see to replace the God they can't see. 
When things are uncertain and patience is required, our doubt can get the best of us. Instead of relying on the timing and movement of God, we try to control things by making our own decisions. The golden calf represents many things, and one of them is the harsh reality that we are always looking to make gods of things and people that shouldn't be worshipped. Saul is this shiny golden calf, ready to receive the praise of the people in place of God. After the prelude, we are placed in the middle of desolation. Nahash, king of Amorites, has made a move on the small city of Jabesh-Gilead. He is one of the several classic villains we see in this series. He's hawking with dark armor and riding atop a horse with sword and shield. He is an embodiment of evil just begging to be vanquished. The opening scene with Nahash and the elders is a very real glimpse into the vulnerability of Israel during this time. They have no unified army to protect their borders or respond to crisis. The bordering nations know this and are eager to pounce on Israel like wolves to scatter prey. It's important for us to take a step back and have a bit of empathy for Israel. They want a king so desperately because on the surface it seems like they need one badly. However, if we do a deeper dive into their history, we see that God has always been faithful to save them. He used strong people like Samson, weak people like Gideon, wise people like Deborah, and foolish people like Jephthah. And in every instance, it was God who raised people up because the people cried out to him. To bring in a king was cutting off a direct line of trust between them and God. Israel, given the history with God, had no good reason to beg for a king. Yet Saul is now king, and it's irreversible. Saul is new and still uncertain about his place. But Nahash provides a perfect opportunity for him to unite a disunified people. This is a common theme in the Bible, but also with humanity in general. People tend to unite over a common enemy. When you have an obviously evil presence in Nahash, it is easy for whoever fights against that evil to appear like a white knight. But just because someone fights against evil does not automatically make them good. Nevertheless, Saul appears to have all the right answers. What we witness from Saul in this episode is epic and borderline supernatural. He has a rise and unprecedented victory over the Ammonites. Saul amasses his army, leads them into battle, and meets the evil king face to face. The fight scene between Saul and Ahash makes one thing very clear. Saul is not an underdog. He was Nahash's superior from the beginning, quickly gaining the upper hand. Israel wanted a king to slay other kings, and it seemed like they found their man. Saul's nobility and character is an important element of this episode. He is righteous, makes the right decisions, and risks his life to save a small city from being enslaved. As of right now, Saul seems to be keeping his pride in check and relying on the strength of God. He is keeping the coals in the fire exemplified in the scene at the camp before marching off to battle. So what could possibly go wrong? Saul seems to have everything it takes to be a great king. So what could cause him to fall? We have Samuel to answer that question for us. At the end of the episode, we are at Gilgal for Saul's coronation. The people are praising him endlessly and worshiping at his feet. Samuel knows that this is the exact thing that will undo Saul. Nobody but God can bear the weight of people's worship. Saul, 
out of no fault of his own, has been enslaved like a golden calf. He is the people's replacement for God. That is a great burden to carry, a burden that will eventually crush him. Samuel, at the end of the episode, reminded the people that they didn't need a king, rather they wanted a king. Their desire to replace God is going to be the downfall of Israel and Saul. Samuel also reminded them that this is the same sin committed by their forefathers in the desert. Their ancestors forsook God and suffered the consequences. Samuel warned them that the pride of the heart is more powerful than you know. God will resist the rebellious and arrogant heart. The fascinating part of this is that the pride of the people is going to be ultimately projected onto Saul. He will embody their pride. This is a theme for all of us to notice. The people we raise up to rule us become mirrors reflecting back our own imperfections. The heart of a culture is reflected in the leaders they choose. Saul's eventual sin will be a mirror image of Israel's. Samuel knew this and mourned their fall. He is definitely volatile in this episode, teetering between righteous anger and fatherly concern but he ultimately reminded them that God would be faithful despite their unfaithfulness. Let's pause for a moment and appreciate how powerful Samuel is at this age. He has a fire in his bones and still preaches with ferocious strength. It's a rather jarring scene toward the end. The people come expecting a huge celebration, but leave wet and afraid. The wind raged, Samuel yelled, and lightning struck a tree, making it burst into flames. It is an apocalyptic scene meant to hearken us back to the prelude, where the winds shift and lightning cracks open the skies. The heart of mankind hasn't changed, and neither has the grief of God when mankind sins against him. But the mercy of God is also enduring, and that is something all of us can take comfort in. The episode ends with the winds dying down, the rain leaving, and a steaming pile of wet coals losing their heat beside the altar. Saul has maintained his innocence thus far, but this scene has left a mark on him. There is no question that the people are for Saul. The question that remains is if God is for Saul or not. Put yourself in Saul's shoes for a moment. You just rallied a historical disunified army against a formidable foe and single-handedly slayed their king. Now, as you are about to be crowned a king with pomp and circumstance, God interrupts and literally rains on your parade. Who wouldn't be at least a little perturbed by this? There is a vicious cycle to pride that Saul must be careful of. The cycle is this. We have a prideful heart. God resists us because of our pride. We grow bitter because God is against us. We continue down the wrong path to spite God. God resists us more. The way to get out of this cycle is by submitting to God and humbling ourselves when he resists us. When we are corrected, we need to pay attention and take correction with humility. That is a sign of a pure heart. Later on in this series, David is going to be caught after committing some egregious crimes. After getting caught in his own cycle of pride, he will go on to write, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. The story is about to get more complex, gory, and fast-paced. We're going to watch Saul carefully to see if he can keep the coal in the fire. We're also going to meet a new character, Jonathan. 
His heart will provide us with a contrast to judge Saul's heart. If you're not sure if Saul was on the right path or not, you will absolutely be certain by the end of this next episode. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. Remember to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right as they come out. God bless. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroesfilm.com to get tickets now. Are you ready to instill your littlest scholar with a love of learning? Introducing the Preschool Course from the Good and the Beautiful. Enrich curious minds with engaging hands-on material that cultivates an appreciation for literature, art, God, family, and nature. This award-winning system uses a balanced approach to introduce letters, numbers, fine motor skills, and more. Start your journey now at goodandbeautiful.com. The Good and the Beautiful. Bringing home a love of learning.